This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everyone. It's so good to be with you tonight. What would normally be our first Wednesday, we're remembering an event that happened in the middle of the week and Holy Week. It was actually a meal that Jesus shared with his followers. Now, we're not done with this week. As a matter of fact, as we walk through this week, we have uh, two more days to do, and that are really big. So we have Good Friday coming up, and, and really on Good Friday, we remember the cross of Jesus. I'm so thankful for what that means. Don't want you to miss out on that service. That'll be at 5.30 and 7 this Friday night. And then Sunday, okay, Sunday, awesome this is the Super Bowl for churches, right? It's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, 10 o'clock here, and then 9 and 10.30 at our East location. So thankful for these opportunities that we have to gather. I do want to remind you, uh, we, we have people tonight showed up said, hey, uh, somebody gave me this invite card. That's why I'm here, okay? So th- there's, there's power that comes in inviting and, and really, we know that people engage invitations around church a little bit more around Easter. And so it's an opportunity for you to invite somebody who's not in church and maybe somebody who is going through something in life and they were not expecting that to happen or maybe just things are not going well for them. It's a great opportunity to invite them to hear the message of redemption through this week and then to be here with you. Invite them to come with you. Decide, pray about where you want to go. Now tonight we're going to go... Uh, from the very beginning, we're going to walk through this, and we're going to begin in Exodus. And so what we're going to do is what we've done for the last few weeks together as a church family when we get together. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read the Word of God, okay? And as we do this, we stand in honor of the Word of God, okay? And so I'm going to read through this passage in Exodus. It's Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at that together. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I'm Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I'm well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God 
who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this text tonight, I pray that you would bring clarity to what many of us have ceremonially experienced in our life. And that, God, you would light up our hearts as we step into experience this Easter with you. Begin that work tonight in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, I want you to notice that in the text that we just looked at, God made four promises to Israel that he still makes to us. Let's go back through the text. It begins in verse 6 when he says, Therefore I say to the people, I am the Lord. What that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I am God supreme. I am all that you would ever need. Say, I am the Lord. And then he makes four promises. Here's the first one. I will free you from your oppression and rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. Here's the second. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. Here's the third. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt, and then I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Let me, if you're taking notes... I want, you to, I want you to see this. This is so pervasive in the context of Scripture, okay? Right here in this moment, in this covenant that God is making with the people of Israel, these are still the promises that God makes for us today. Look at this. Number one, I will free you. I will free you. We were all born into sin. The Bible makes it so clear that the picture of, of Israel in Egypt is, is a picture of us to sin. We were born into sin. We were slaves to sin. And I need you to kind of receive this for your heart tonight. Freedom doesn't come from working harder. Freedom doesn't come from getting it right. Freedom doesn't come because you've, you've earned your way to it. Freedom comes from God. It comes from God. And God has made that promise. I will free you. 
See, we all need freedom because we've all been enslaved to sin. Every one of us has. We've all had stuff in our, in our background and in our lives. We all have a, a predisposition in our soul. There, there's a, a background and a story of sin in everybody's story, mine included. And we need freedom. And this is the whole purpose of all that God has done. So much so that the Apostle Paul would write in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. This is the sum purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to set you free. And all the way back to Exodus 9, it is the very first promise that God makes in that covenant. I will set you free. Number two is I will redeem you. I will redeem you. I love that word, redeem. Just study the word parts. Deem means to name or to purpose. Re means to do it again. It means to be given a new name, to be given a new purpose. You know, the thing about sin, sin comes with a name. You're a liar. You're a cheater. And those names represent a broken purpose. And when God redeems us, he, he gives us a new purpose. And God promises to redeem you. Not only is he going to free you from your sin, but God wants to redeem you, to change your life. So much so that when we come to the New Testament and we encounter people who really encountered Jesus, not only were they different, but their names were different afterwards. Simon goes to Peter. Saul becomes Paul. Why? Because God had redeemed them. He gives us a new purpose. I love how this is expressed in Romans 8. Look at verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him, right? And what? Are called according to His purposes. Now, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Everything won't work out for your good if you're living life for your own purpose. Okay? As a matter of fact, it'll end up pretty broken. But the promise of God is if I'm living the redeemed life, I'm living in His purposes over my life, His promise, what is it? I'm going to work everything to the good. It's a promise. That's how important it is to know that God, God said, I will redeem you. I'm not just going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to give you a new purpose in life. And that purpose is so powerful that when I live in that purpose, literally God will transform the things that are broken in my life to make them good. This is why we'd say, hey, if you're following God, if it ain't good, it ain't done. Okay? You need to know that. God's made that promise. Here's number three. I will set you apart. Now, I'm going to be honest, in our modern Christianity, this is one that we 
We don't talk about a lot, but this was very important and is very important contextually in the Bible to what God was at work doing within his people. I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be different. Can I just say this? As a parent, you need to be raising your kids where they are comfortable being different. If they are uncomfortable being different, you are not preparing them to live in the purposes of God. Because God is going to set us apart. I'm going to say this. If your relationship with God isn't making you different, Different than who you used to be, different than your neighbor, different than your coworker, different from the person that you grew up with. If your relationship with God isn't making you different, it ain't working. God's ultimate purpose for you is not for you to be happy. It's for you to be holy. I'm not going to say that God doesn't want us to have joy and God doesn't bless us. He certainly does. But his central desire is for us to be holy. And that word holy literally means set apart, different. And yes, if you know the Bible, you could say well, that's very Old Testament. I mean, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's a promise. I will set you apart. Some of you have tried so hard to set yourself apart at work. To set yourself apart in your school. To set yourself apart maybe in your friend group or even online. And you're going at it the way that the world would go at it. I want you to hear this. You follow God. He will set you apart. He will. He'll be the person that garners the attention for you at work. He'll be the person that elevates you in that circumstance. Promise, I will set you apart. And then number four, I will fulfill my promises to you. I will fulfill my promises. I don't know about you, but this one makes me a little excited. God is a promise-making God. And he's never broken a promise. I want you to understand that about who he is today. God will make promises to you. Now you need to understand that oftentimes there are parts that we have to play to sustain the relationship that God can deliver on that promise. We just looked at one. I will work all things for your good if you're called according to my purposes and you love me. Now, if you reject God's purposes and you reject Him, it ain't all going to work out good. But that's a promise if you'll anchor your heart in Him and give your life to Him. Might not be good now. God is a promise-making God. And this fourth promise is, listen, the promises I've made, I'm going to deliver on those. In the text, he, he references the promise 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know I promised you Canaan, and I know that you're in slavery in Egypt right now, but I want you to know I'm going to deliver on that promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Which literally means it's been paid for already. When Jesus died, he already paid the fulfillment of God's promises. They're secured in his work, not in your efforts. They're concerned, they're absolutely secured in what Jesus leveraged for us. No, I have to do my part. But God's promises in the old King James, it says this, that they are yes and amen. Now, you might be asking, Kevin, I thought we were going to talk about the Passover tonight. What does all this have to do? Why is this so important? Well, the truth is, is those four promises are the basis for the traditional Jewish Passover Seder. Those are the promises that anchor this Jewish Passover Seder. Next slide. See, Passover is a Jewish holiday or feast to remember how God delivered the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. We have cultural feasts, okay? July 4th, how many of y'all going to cook out and have some hot dogs and hamburgers, right? All right, we got some feasts, okay? Thanksgiving, right? We love some Thanksgiving. Anybody got some turkey? Just fried turkey. Anybody deep fried turkey? Right, roast the turkey. All the different ways you can make the turkey and the ham. We have our feasts. Well, traditionally in the calendar, for Ju- there were feasts. And Passover was one of those meals that they came together. Now, here's, this is interesting. Now, it was anchored in remembering that God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. The name Passover comes from, there, there was a series of plagues that God sent on Egypt to force Pharaoh's hand to let go and to send him away. And the last one was that the, the firstborn son of every family would be killed. It died in one night. Can you imagine the mourning and the grief? But the only way you'd get out of it was by making a sacrifice to God and then taking the blood of that sacrifice and putting it on your door. And then the angel would pass over. That's where the name, Passover. They remember what God has done in the past. Now, before the time of Jesus, this is so important, Jewish rabbis developed a traditional meal and ritual steps to help the Jewish people remember their deliverance. It's called the Passover Seder, okay? It's very traditional. It's very ritual. We do this, then we do this, and then we do this, and do we? It's literally a 15 step celebration. It's insane. Listen, you wash your hands several times. I mean, I'm just, everybody got to go wash your hands at the beginning. That's good. That's sanitary, right? You break, hide, and then eat what's called matzah. Matzah is essentially unleavened bread. It's like a giant cracker, okay? And so if you can imagine how fun. I'm a little, um, I like things to be clean, okay? Just going to say that up front. 
I can't imagine. They hide the, the big cracker from the kids, right? So, so the kids literally spend like the first half of the meal hunting throughout the house to try to find the matzah that's been broken. They retell the story of the Hebrew Exodus. They'll do that by reading scripture. And they also do it, the little kids will ask the oldest person there some questions. Constantly. Retelling. And they drink a lot of wine, y'all. I'm just up front, okay? A lot of wine. If you ever talk to somebody who's Jewish, they have a party when they have a Passover. As a matter of fact, if, if you're taking notes, this is number one in this section. There were four cups of wine during the Passover Seder. Four cups. Some of y'all are going, can I get an invite to one of those? Can I get an invite? I'd love to go to Passover sounds like a lot of fun right now. Now, pay attention. I just showed you four promises four cups four cups one cup for each promise the first cup was the cup of deliverance what's God's promise I will free you it's a cup to remember that promise God promised you'd free us and and for Jews they're remembering and going God you did that it's a cup of redemption What's God's promise? I will redeem you. I will give you a new purpose. God, you did that. Next slide. You redeemed us. You redeemed us. You, you brought us out and you gave us a new purpose. And then it's the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. God, you set us apart. That's the promise, right? You set us apart. You made us your people. And the last promise, okay, was what? God said, I will fulfill my promises. It's the promise where God says, I'm not going to break my promises. The last cup is the cup of praise. Because what do we do? When we trust God, we can praise God in the middle of a storm. We can praise God in the middle of a trial. It's the cup of praise. Now, these cups connect back to those promises out of Exodus 6. So we're going to have some fun tonight. We're going to open a bottle of wine up here. How's that? Some of y'all are going, I've never been in church where they opened a bottle of wine. What is going on here? What is going on here? The pastor knows how to do that, I think. He's not supposed to know how to open a bottle of wine. That's right. Probably not. Okay. And. There's probably stuff, you know, just saying. Let me see if I can get this open. There we go. There we go. So let's go back through the cups. Let's go back through the cups. I want you to think about it. the cup of deliverance. So they'd show up. Oh, yeah. You know, a good, a good glass right there. And they'd take the cup. The very beginning. The promise of God is that God would free us. And they'd share the first cup. Promise. What does it mean to be delivered? Deliverance means the action of being rescued and set free. Being rescued. God, you're my rescuer. 
You're the one who comes when my life is broken, when I've made a mess, when I need help. You're the one who delivers me, the cup of deliverance. Now think about this in the context of Jesus. John 8, look at what Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God, you're my deliverer. Was that also me? We're starting to see something here, aren't we? Starting to see something that it's, it's not just for us something that we see in the past. It's something that we see in Jesus. The next cup, right? Oh, yeah. You have another cup in there. Woo, come on. I might sip on some of this stuff, you know. Who knows? The cup of redemption. So they take the toast and they pass the cup and they share it. And what would they remember? They would remember that God had redeemed them. That's his promise. I will redeem you. What does redemption mean? Redemption means the act, I love this, the act of being saved especially from error or evil. So how many of y'all know we need to be saved? Some of y'all have that experience. Your life was going the absolute wrong way. You were making the wrong decisions. You didn't know which way was up. And your life intersected God and God saved you. Being saved, especially from our error and the evil that is in the world. But it's also... I want you to see this regaining something that was lost. I want you to hear that. Because some of us have lost some stuff. Might have lost hope. Might have lost some innocence. Might have lost a relationship. Redemption is the, the restoration of something that was lost. It, it's the clearing of a debt. How many of y'all know we had a debt to pay? And that when God saved us, He wiped away that debt. When it comes to redemption, look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of of God's grace that He lavished on us. You starting to see this? There's something deeper. There's something deeper. Then it would come to the next cup. And of course, they pour a little bit more wine. Now, they're probably feeling good by this time. Okay? They three glasses in, you know. The cup of sanctification. What did God say? Here's the promise. I will set you apart. I will set you apart. I will make you not only different, but I will make you into something that's unusual. Unusually wise. Unusually powerful, unusually
Sanctification is the act of making something holy or set apart. And I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Listen. God wants us to be holy. You don't need to get in front of God and make a bunch of excuses. Okay? Your attitude in your sin matters as much as your sin. Now, y'all, let me explain that. We can be prideful in sin and humble in sin. I'm humble in sin. That gives God the ability to convict me, to challenge me, and to change me. Prideful, what happens? God can't do anything with you because you ain't going to listen to nobody else. Sanctification is the act of making something, someone, holy and set apart, causing something to become right. Now, here's the thing about sanctification. It is two things all at once. It's me being presented in front of God, judicially innocent. But it is also me having to progressively grow and grow and grow into the thing that I've already been given. 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Set aside, set apart. For who? For God. For Jesus. Who was set apart for us. Then the cup of praise. And you know by the time they get to that fourth cup. I mean, they are, it has been a good night at that point. The fourth cup, the cup of praise. Praise, the action of expressing admiration and appreciation. The word in the Old Testament that means praise and and. The, the Jewish writings in Hebrew is the, the beginning of the word hallelujah, hallel. And y'all don't probably like that word. The word hallel means to get loud, to get unconcerned with who's next to you. I mean to shout, to cry, to weep, to put your hands in the air. The cup of praise. Now Hebrews 13 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and share with others for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Now, These four cups, not only do they point to Jesus, but if you're taking notes, number two, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He did. He literally went through this 
whole meal, the 15 steps, the four cups. Y'all are not going to see this the same anymore. As a matter of fact, let's read through the text. Luke 22, beginning in verse 8. Look at this. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Now stop right there. Do you know why he said go prepare it? These are two fishermen, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. It took most families days to prepare for the Passover. Days. They'd cook and get stuff ready. It took them a couple days. Jesus says, all right, y'all, we're going to do this. Y'all go do it. Now look at the instruction. Next verse. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again. And look at that. Until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, what they were doing together was pointing to what he was about to do. Now, y'all going to see some stuff different here, okay? Then, look at the next verse. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Now, notice it doesn't say the cup, okay? It was a cup. Why was it a cup? Because there's four cups, okay? It was a cup. One of the cups he took, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So in the middle of sharing one of the early cups, he pauses and says, I'm not going to do this. Time's running out. And then the next verse. Then he took some bread and he gave thanks to it. And he broke it into pieces. Now, for Jew, they're going, obviously, that's what we do. It's matzah. We break the matzah. But look at what happens. And he gave it to his disciples saying, go back, please. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, listen, this ain't just about bread. This is not just remembering our broken past. For literally hundreds of years, this tradition has been looking forward to the broken body of Jesus Christ. This is my body that is broken for you. And then after supper, he took another cup of wine. Do y'all see it now? Another cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I'm telling you what tonight. In that moment, Jesus took one of the cups and He said, I, I want you to understand that this looks different than what you've always done. This is pointing. My blood is going to be poured out and it's going to be poured out for you. This is a new promise. That's what covenant means. It's confirmed in my blood. 
Now, the early church remembered Jesus by celebrating the Passover Seder. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his followers, and it became known as the Lord's Supper or communion. The bread broken, the blood poured out, the, the, this imagery of what would happen at Calvary. So tonight we have communion elements down here. We're going to take communion. So here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and get the bread. Go ahead and get the bread. This bread is actually, it's pretty similar to matzah. Okay? Matzah is absolutely disgusting. Okay? Just want you to know. So this is not going to be a pleasurable eating experience. Matzah's unseasoned large cracker. That's what it is. Unleavened bread. And it would be broken multiple times. Broken multiple times. And so they would have these shards of bread like this. And Jesus took the matzah and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. I want you to just remember that in that moment, on that Wednesday night, Jesus chose that. He knew what was just a couple days away. And he chose to have his body handed over knowing it was going to be broken. Why did he do that? For you. He did it for you. And he did it because there was no way to those promises without his body being broken. I will free you. I will redeem you. Think about that. I will set you apart. And I won't let any promise go unfulfilled. The only way through that was his body being broken. And we're not talking about casual, normal, everyday. I mean, he was obliterated. On Friday, we're going to go through that in detail. But tonight as we receive the bread, I want you to just think about that moment when he willfully at a table with men who would run away, sitting near the one who would betray him, he willfully said, I will give my body for you. This is my body that is broken. Let's take the bread. Father God, we we thank you for the gift of the broken body of Jesus. His body was broken so that ours wouldn't have to be. I will never have to be the sacrifice 
because Jesus has already been there. And Jesus, you chose it. You willfully gave up your, your, your life. You'd made your mind up that night. We're so thankful that you would do that for us. Amen. Then he took the cup. Took the cup. He said, you know what? This cup is a new promise. A new promise that's secured and confirmed in my blood. I got some blood taken at the doctor today. I'm just, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get too excited about that. Okay? Some of y'all, my wife will run away from you if you try to take some blood. I'm not lying, am I? No. She's laughing because she knows the truth. But Jesus knew that night what was coming. He knew that his flesh was going to be obliterated. His hands, his ankles were going to be pierced. I mean, we... It was brutal what was done. And I don't know if you've ever had an accident and looked down and saw a little small pool of blood, but it wasn't nothing like that. And we're talking about a considerable amount of his volume of blood spilled out that night. And in that moment, when he's with his disciples, he chose it. And he knew that the only way, see, there was a sacrificial system. The only way to be made right, the only way to be forgiven was blood, and he knew it was his. The only way that they would ever be freed, the only way that they would ever be redeemed, the only way that they would ever be set apart and become holy, and the only way that they'd ever be positioned to receive the promises of God was with his blood poured out. He said, I'll do it. That night, he committed in his heart and made the promise. Tonight, I want us just to think about the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in our lives. Where God has set us free, has redeemed us. And to just be thankful that he chose to do it that night. Let's take this. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus poured out on our behalf. It's that blood that cleanses us and washes us clean. God, we thank you that tonight we can stand presented as innocent because Jesus took our guilty on him. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Amen, amen. You know, I was listening to a Jewish rabbi talk about the Passover. You know, the bread, it, it's called matzah. It's actually where they come up with matzah balls, if you've ever heard of those before. See, when the matzah is first introduced in the Seder, it's called the bread of affliction. The bread of affliction. And they remember 
where they were as the people when they were enslaved in Egypt. But when it's last eaten at the end of the Passover, it's called the bread of freedom. Same bread, two different points of the story, two different names. The rabbi said, I've struggled with that all of my adult life until I heard a Holocaust survivor explain their story. They were in a concentration camp that was liberated by the Russians. And unlike the, the Allies, the Americans, when the Russians liberated a concentration camp, they took the workers as prisoners of war and they left those who were in, in, in the concentration camp to fend for themselves. So the guys he's telling the story said, for days we were hungry. We'd have to forage through the forest. We'd have to go into towns. We'd have to try to find food. They didn't even leave us food. And it'd been a couple days since I'd ate. And I'd been out foraging, and I was coming back in, and I hadn't found anything. And somebody walked up and said, hey, we found some food. Why don't you come eat? He said, I sat down at the table. And when I sat down at the table, I began to realize something. See, when we were in the concentration camp, we weren't permitted to share anything. If I got more food than I needed, it was because they were trying to treat me a certain way. I couldn't give it to somebody who was hungry. We couldn't share food. We couldn't share attention. I couldn't give attention to somebody that they were kind of treating poorly. I could, we couldn't share anything. And he said, and I realized in that moment that because we were sharing, what had been our affliction had become our freedom. I want you to see this. And you see this throughout the course of the Passover Seder. When we find the courage to invite God and others into our brokenness, we open ourselves to receive God's freedom. So many of us try to go through our broken things alone. And I want you to hear, the enemy wants you isolated. The enemy wants you alone. It'll stay affliction until you share it. And somehow there's liberation that happens. It goes from being a source of affliction to being a source of freedom. There's one other thing I want to point out. Which of these four cups did Jesus use at the end of the Last Supper? We know he took a cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. But which one? Matthew includes a detail in his telling. And he said, or Luke does, and he says that it came after the meal was done. There was only one cup that came after the meal, and it was the cup of praise. The cup of praise, which represents God saying, listen, I will fulfill all of my promises. And what's Jesus saying? This is a new covenant. 
Jesus made a new promise secured in his blood by raising the cup of praise. I want you to know this. You can celebrate and praise even if you're in the storm because you can trust that God is going to fulfill his promises. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.